continuing on this morning with our sermon series through Isaiah. Um, and last week I said to you that we'd really come to chapter 53, which many people consider to be the, the mountaintop, the peak of the book of Isaiah, talking about Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, everything is directed towards this chapter. Uh, in the 27 minutes I have, it's impossible to cover uh, all that could be said about um, uh, this chapter, uh, this which has been pointing, which everything else has been directed towards. But I've pulled a few things out this morning just to help us, because the central passage of the chapter really is chapter four, is verses four to six, which are going to come before you. And it says this, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. His words were written by Isaiah 700 years before the Messiah, uh, Jesus arrived and uh, obviously we look at it in hindsight because we know that it was speaking about the coming Messiah, Jesus. You know, the Jews are expecting a great king, a perfect priest, a mighty warrior. They were not expecting a suffering servant and Jesus came as that. And this morning we're going to just quickly take a look at three aspects of these verses. That Jesus was our substitute, our sacrifice, and Jesus was our scapegoat. Um, John Stott says this, he says, Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. We said 700 years before the Messiah comes, Isaiah prophesies this, uh, the suffering servant and what he would go through, that many would be forgiven, justified, redeemed and healed. But his suffering would also lead to his exaltation and his glory. John Stott said again in this quote, he said, the concept of substitution lies at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Just simply from the beginning, that has been man's problem. He wants to be his own boss. He wants to be God. He wants to be the one uh, that is in charge. And so that's the essence of sin. But the essence of salvation is that God uh, became a man and went to the cross for you and for me. And so we look at this part of substitute. And to substitute means to replace uh, to add, uh, to make a difference. Back in the 1970s, if you used to follow football when you were alive then, I said um, there was a player who played for Liverpool. Now, I have to say this. I had this illustration planned before last Sunday. So I'm just going to declare that now. It was before last Sunday. There was a player that played for Liverpool, and his name was David Fairclough, and he was called Super Sub. Now, the reason I tell you this is because back then, uh, whenever you were substitute, uh, football teams only allowed one substitute. Uh, today, they're allowed, I don't know, five, six, seven, I don't know how many uh, that they're allowed. But back then, they were only allowed one substitute. So the substitute that they had on the bench had to be the player that came onto the pitch 
to make the most difference uh, to the course of the game. Uh, and so simply to substitute means to replace one with another. But in replacing one with another, you have to replace uh, the one with something better, with somebody that's going to make a difference. Uh, Jesus Christ is our super sub, as they say today, because he's the one that came to make the difference. Because the central message of the whole Old Testament animal sacrificial system in the Old Testament was this, was simply that there was the blood of a substitute, which was an animal. Uh, and they simply, uh, every once a year, they simply put the sins of the people upon the animal and the blood of that animal would, uh, would simply pay the sins for the sins of the people for that year. But it was only temporary, it was not permanent. It was something that had to keep being going on again and again and again. In the sermon on Isaiah, I spoke on the greatness of God. I shared the verse that if all the animals of one nation were sacrificed to God, it still wouldn't be enough. So there had to be something else. There had to be something more that met the holy requirements of God. And Isaiah prophesies, doesn't just speak these words, he prophesies clearly of the Messiah, the suffering servant coming. He tells us what the problems are, because as you know, as we've worked away through Isaiah, we've looked at all the difficulties that the people have had. But he tells us just in these few verses, the, the difficulties. Uh, transgression means rebellion against God, that man has rebelled against God. Iniquity is the crookedness of our sinful nature. Sin was just missing the mark. And trespass means we broke the law. All of those things in together tied up uh, transgression, iniquity, sin and trespass simply became his suffering. It's the essence of substitutionary atonement and without it we have no salvation. Now before people get confused and if you're visiting this morning when you use those words like substitutionary atonement it's simply this God sent Jesus uh, to pay the price of our sin. And so that was him that, to make us right with God. That's all that is. That's all that means. He sent his son Jesus to make us right with God through his death upon the cross. Because our condition is simply this. It tells us we were steeped in rebellion and iniquities. We were deserving a death penalty. We were at war with God. We needed deep healing. Now, people will argue and say different things here, but we've got to understand that we are both sinners by nature and by choice. No, none of us are born good. No, nobody's been born good. So we don't have to ever teach our children as they grow up uh, to, to not do something bad, to not do something that rebels, in a sense, against their parents. If we say, don't touch that, the first thing they'll do is they'll go and touch that. If we say to them, don't pick that up, it's dangerous, they'll go towards it and go and pick that up. Don't open that door because there's something in there we don't want. They'll go and do that. So we know that in that simple illustration, the, 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 simply we are, we are sinners both by nature and by choice. But by nature we are both children of wrath and by chance, choice, sorry, we become children of disobedience. So we've got all these problems, all these difficulties. And working our way through Isaiah, we've seen the rebellion of the people against God. We've seen, in a sense, the people making their wrong choices and having to accept the consequences of those wrong choices and their actions. And Isaiah prophesies this amazing chapter here, words that God wants to give the people as an encouragement. 
They're simply saying, you know, further down the line, further down in history, I'm fixing it all. I'm sending my son, the Messiah, and he's not, as you can imagine, he would come as a, as a king, as a ruler, as a, he's coming as a servant, coming to be born just as an ordinary man. Uh, and this is what he's actually speaking of here. And you see, we see this transfer of all of this. It, it, it's mysterious, isn't it? How we swap one for another, but God alone has the right to do it. And you see, if God hadn't done it, we would all still be in sin this morning. We would have no hope at all. Yeah. And we have hope because God has done it and he has swapped it because all our sin, suffering and shortcomings were transferred to Christ at the cross. Yeah. See, the key word here is our. See the verse. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. He was punished for our peace and he was wounded for our healing. So you think that's incredible that there, there is that substitute there, the substitute, not just that, that, that we're saved, not just that he went to the cross. There is this divine exchange that happens, and I mentioned in earlier weeks that Isaiah talks about, that he was pierced for our rebellion. Everything he went through was for you and me. He was crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace, wounded for our healing. But it tells us in these verses that, that he did something. He says he took up... And he carried. And I, and I looked at this and thought, well, what does this mean? You know, when you, when you take up something, it, it, you, it says he lifted a burden, uh, you know, and he simply just lifted it. But it actually said in one of the commentaries that when you read the verse there, what Jesus did, that Jesus lifted the, the burden. But then he said he carried it as well. And actually said the original meaning of that word is, as if I said, if I carried something, I would just lift it, walk it out and stuff. But that's not the original meaning of the word. The original meaning of the word carries the thought, he took responsibility for it. When he carried it, he took responsibility for it. So when he carried our sins and our griefs and our sorrows, he took responsibility for it. Not in a sense that he just lifted it and took it off with him, but he actually took responsibility. I mean, we look at the word sometimes, it says bruised. You know, if I, if, I, if I come down and punch one of you on the arm, I was going to do it as a demonstration, but some of you would hit me back. If I came and punched you on the arm, it would leave a bruise. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it would, that, we think that's what that means here, but it doesn't mean that here. It means he's crushed under the weight of a burden. For Jesus to be bruised, he was crushed under a weight of a burden. Whose burden? Our burden. My burden. Your burden. You see, this message that, that, uh, of this, this substitutionary was at the heart of Israel's religious system. The innocent animal sacrifice dying for the guilty sinner. In Leviticus 16, for the forgiveness of the people. The high priest Aaron would do this. He, he would have taken two goats. One goat was a sacrifice, a sin offering, and one goat was the scapegoat. And the first goat was a picture of how atonement is granted because sins are forgiven. Uh, the punishment was now when he would sacrifice the first goat uh, and, and put the blood of that goat upon the mercy seat so the people would be forgiven. But, but there was a second goat. Uh, and, and you see, we see here uh, in, in what it says when he talks about being carried, it comes from Leviticus 16. 
that the goat was sacrificed was also like Jesus in that the goat was spotless, was from the people of Israel, was chosen by God, and the goat's blood was taken to the holy place to provide atonement. Now, some of you will know your Old Testament will say, well, it wasn't a goat, it was a lamb. No, it could be either a goat or a lamb. It says in Leviticus, it tells either a goat or a lamb. It meant, the original word simply meant just a, a, that young animal, either goat or lamb that was under a year old. But the important thing was this, that the goat that was sacrificed was also like Jesus in that the goat was spotless from the people of Israel, was chosen by God, and the goat's blood was taken to the holy place to provide atonement. So you say to him, well, why am I saying this? Well, that, that, that met in a sense, the, the requirement that God had, that the blood of the innocent animal met the requirement for that next year with its blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat. But with the second goat, we read that, that this happens, that he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it into the wilderness. He carried our sorrows is taken from Leviticus 16 because simply the high priest would take all the transgressions, all the iniquities, all the rebellion of the people and and he would place it on the goat's head. And, and simply what would happen then is somebody would be appointed to take the goat 10 miles outside of Jerusalem. And there they would set it free. And you will have heard the word, it was the scapegoat. The goat in itself was totally innocent. But he was without blemish, met all the requirements of the law. But he took, he carried the sins and the sorrows and the griefs of the people for that year and then took them outside of Jerusalem. But there was a difficulty here, there was a problem with, with all of this, because the, the, this, this is an animal. You know, the, the, this, you have to think about this, but what do you do if the goat comes back? I mean, think about it, you know, you let the goat go, I mean, animals find their way home. And of course the Jews thought, well, we don't want the representation of, the, of, the, of the sins of the people wandering their way back into the camp uh, to see. So they came up with this idea. They said what they did was they, they took a scarlet ribbon and they would tie it to the, to, the, to the horns of the goat. And when they let it go, everybody would know that that was the, the, the scapegoat for the people for that year and they wouldn't go near it or they would direct it so as everybody would know but the Jews did something else because they wanted to know if the sacrifice was acceptable because the first one was because it had been laid on the mercy seat but the second one was the scapegoat they wanted to know if it had been uh, you know, in, in the eyes of God had it fulfilled everything that he wanted and so what happened was if God was pleased with the sacrifice of both the one goat that was sacrificed and the scapegoat, the scarlet ribbon would turn white uh, as it was led out of Jerusalem. And if it got to 10 miles away, it says what they would do if it, if it had turned white, then they knew God was pleased with the sacrifice. If it was still red, they mourned for a year because they knew that God was not pleased with their sacrifice. Aren't we glad we don't have to do this anymore? But why do I say this this morning? Well, when we think of the cross, we look at it this way. It says the image of the cross is that red 
blood of Jesus Christ. When he rose again, he put on the white garments. The red had been turned white because the sacrifice of the Son had been made acceptable to the Father. He had met the holy requirements. He only had to do it once because he met all the requirements. He didn't have to do it year after year after year. And remember earlier on in Isaiah, it says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. I will remember them at all. I will remember them no more at all forever. You see, in Hebrews, it speaks about the sacrifice of the, the, under the law and the old covenant system. But it tells us in Hebrews 10, verse, verse 9 to 10, when it talks about the sacrifice of Jesus, it just simply says, once for all, perfect, complete, never to be done again. It says, didn't need to be early. He had met all those requirements. Why? Because under the law, the sheep was always sacrificed for the shepherd. But under grace, the shepherd was sacrificed for the sheep. So Christ's mission was to die on the cross as a substitute for the sins of the people, winning eternal life in a future world where disease and death would be abolished forever. He bore the punishment for the sins we have committed. We were guilty before God. And the servant bore the guilt of our sins. He took the punishment that was due us because of our falling short of the glory of God. He was our substitute. He took our place and he died the death that we rightly deserved. We can do nothing to earn it, work for it or pay for it. Isaiah 53 tells us he not only took it, he exchanged it for the life that God wants us to have. He exchanged it for the relationship that God wants us to have. His justice is satisfied by his holiness. God was executing this divine judgment upon our sin bearer, Jesus Christ. It pictured the scene as the father watched the son sacrificed for the sins of the people, the innocent son. At any point, I always struggle with this, at any point, God could have stepped in, but he didn't. At any point, Jesus could have called upon the angels, but he didn't. At any point, he could have done something. And he continued the torture, the beating, the affliction, the smitten, the rejection, the forsakenness, absolutely everything else for my sake and for your sake. That's the incredible thing. That's the amazing thing. It's why when we come to do this table, and I have to say this as we lead the table, you see, it, it, it's a privilege to preach, but it's an honor to lead this because when we come to do the table, it's not about how bad our week is and if I, we burnt our toast this morning and that set Sunday off bad. I said, we come to the table and remember the sacrifice of the Son. And it's incomparable, anything that we go through compared to what he went through for you and for me. And so when we come to the table and we look at it and we try and relate it to something that's happened to us this week, we're not supposed to do that. We're remembering the sacrifice and the, the death of the Son who gave everything for you and for me. 
as we come and we take the bread and we come and take the juice. That's, that's, that's how we do this. This must be how we do this as we come this morning. And, and, and so we're here when we come to the end of this. That Jesus did not come to tell us what God wants. He simply came to be what God wants for us. God knew there was a price that had to be paid. He knew that his son, sinless, innocent, voluntarily submitted himself to the divine wrath to pay our sin debt. In a sense, God did not go soft on him because he was his son. He poured out all the wrath of God was poured upon the son on the cross for the sins of the people. It was the only thing that could be done. There was no giving it him easy or letting up lightly. He says he gave everything to the son because it had to meet those requirements. Jesus said in John 10 verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Because that debt is paid, God is free to give us a right relationship with himself if we will trust in Christ. Everything that would keep us from having a right relationship with God is removed. There was spiritual healing. The cause of our spiritual death is removed completely. There is healing. There is perfect peace with God. There is no greater message than that. Jesus Christ paid the full payment of our spiritual debt when he died in our place on the cross. It is paid in full. And he speaks about the Messiah carrying our burdens, our sins, our sorrows, our griefs. That's what it means here in this passage. And in my short time, that's nearly gone. It, that, that's where we But We can only touch on one, that one bit. But, but you know, this morning it's enough that simply Jesus took our place. Everything that was bad and evil and sinful about me, he replaced. It has not made me perfect. It's just simply made me right with God. They said it has made me right with God, but it's made you right with God as well. That's what Christ did when he went to the cross where we were wrong with God. He made us right with God. And see, Jesus is so familiar with rejection, suffering and sorrow that you can trust that he won't abandon you in yours. He says, I know this morning has been a little bit of a gospel Message, but there's no other way around Isaiah 53 because it is the message of the gospel that Jesus came to pay my debt and your debt. He came to pay the price and he did that and substituted it and gave us so much more. He says everything that was supposed to be ours, he took because he loves you and me. And this morning in our, in our feelings of rejection or if we're suffering or we're feeling sorrowful, it says if we're grieving, if we're sad, if we're uncertain about things, if we're looking explanation or answers, it says the wonderful thing about everything that Jesus went through, he understands, he sympathizes as a high priest, it says in Hebrews 4. But simply this, he won't abandon us. He won't abandon us. I'm so thankful God has a plan. And 700 years before he sent the Messiah, he's writing and prophesying through Isaiah about the plan that his son, Jesus Christ, would come and change people's lives. Could you imagine for a second if we stopped as we come to the finish, how many people's lives have been changed by the message of Jesus Christ since he rose again 
That's that day that we read about in Acts. That day that we read about in the Gospels. Imagine how many people's lives have changed because they have repented and believed, accepted it as truth and trusted God with their lives. If nothing else this morning, that is something worth celebrating about. If nothing else this morning, that's the message that we declare to the world today. And it says we come to our final song and sing it, uh, we, we, in a sense, we, we testify to the words that we've read here, the words that we looked at this morning, that Jesus came to take everything from us, to be everything for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning. All glory, praise and honour belongs to you because, uh, Father, you provided the way by sending your Son to pay the price for all of our sin that we would know what it is to be forgiven because our debt is paid this morning. And, Father, we can only come and say thank you. Thank you for that divine exchange that he was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the punishment that was ours. We exchange for peace. And by his stripes we are healed this morning. And Father, we thank you for that this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you have done for each and every one of us. And our response today is simply just to come at the end and worship, to forget about everything that's happening to us, but to come and worship you because of everything you have done.